Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of one of our 2020 Elul study classes. What I want to do is, first of all, just call your attention. Um, many of us, it's been a few years, but uh, many of us know this prayer book, the Sidur Sim Shalom, and use it for many years. We certainly use it at Ramah for many years. And in the beginning of um, Sidur Sim Shalom, there are texts that are part of the Shacharit service for study before you say Kadishta Rabbanan. And one of them is, I think, a very important text about Chesed um, that I'm just going to uh, just gonna read to you. Um, this text is from the uh, Talmud, Masechet Sukkah, um, the Talmud, the Tractate of Sukkah, 49b. And um, it, Tanu Rabbanan, our rabbis teach, deeds of loving kindness are superior to, um, to tzedakah. Okay, so deeds of chesed are superior to tzedakah in three ways. So there's a difference between an act of chesed and an act, an, an act of loving kindness and an act of tzedakah. And according to the Talmud, um, their deeds of chesed are superior in three ways. Charity can only be accomplished with, uh, can be accomplished only with money. Um, so tzedakah can only be accomplished with money. Deeds of loving kindness can be accomplished through personal involvement as well as with money. Uh, tzedakah can be given only to the poor. Deeds of loving kindness can be done for both the rich and the poor. And tzedakah applies only to the living whereas deeds of chesed, deeds of loving kindness, apply to both the living and the dead. And that last explanation, that last phrase, we may know quite well from Jewish, uh, from Jewish funerals, mm-hmm. where when we participate in the act of burial, uh, we are participating in what the rabbis called a chesed shel emet, sort of a, a true, maybe we might say pure act of chesed, because the person who is who we are burying cannot repay us for the act of chesed that we do. And so uh, we know that when we do this act of chesed, we're not doing it for any ulterior motive um, because there, there is no possibility of repayment. Um, so that's a, just an interesting frame for us to start to think about um, the, uh, the role of chesed um, in our lives, that it's something that um, is that we can do through money, but also that we can do through acts of of goodness. Um, it's something that um, obviously can be done for both people who are rich and and people who are poor, um, and even uh, something that we can do both for people who are living, but also for people um, who have died. Uh, the The question that I want to um, that I, I want to begin with uh, just to prime the pump. And I guess what we'll do is if you have something that you want to, if you have a response and I actually do want responses, um, you can use that raise hand function. Um, or if your camera is on, you can literally raise your hand um, and, uh, and, and then take yourself off of mute. Um, but please only do that if there's not background noise. Um, if there's background noise, I love you dearly. I want to hear what you have to say, but it's going to be disturbing for everybody else. So don't uh, don't participate. Um, but the question that I have is, when you want to do 
I, I think my assumption going into Rosh Hashanah and during Elul, here you are, you're a group of people who've all signed on line in order to take a class about uh, about Judaism. I'm assuming that, you know, uh, that, that this is a good group of people, okay? Um, and I assume that you want to do acts of chesed. My question that I want to start us off thinking about is what, what prevents us or what are the challenges in doing acts of chesed? Assuming that we, that we want to do them. Um, what holds us back from succeeding in those situations? Uh, Renee, is it Renee or Rennie? Um, not knowing how it will be received. Sometimes what we think a person needs may not necessarily be something that they feel that they need or want. Yeah, so in order to do this stuff well, um, and you can go back on mute, in order to do this stuff well, uh, there's a little bit of mind reading. Um, you know, it's not actually mind reading, but there's a, a great deal of sensitivity that we need to have because it's the 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 fundamental aspect of this is that an act of chesed is not about us, right? Um, I would say it's almost an oxymoron, right, to try to do an act of chesed that a person doesn't want. Then if the person doesn't want it or it's not helpful, then it, you know, it may not be an act of chesed. Um, th that may not be totally true. Sometimes people, uh, you know, with children might not know what's good for them or sometimes people are out of control um, and we might be in a close enough relationship where, where we can uh, assert that, but that's very tricky business. Diane? Um, what's holding me back right now, literally from um, doing something that I usually like to do, I can't give money to the homeless. I just know if I gave all my money away, it wouldn't help. So what I do is give like Trader Joe's trail mix packets and things like that. Um, and right now, unfortunately, I think the homeless are in a horrible position. But what's holding me back is I roll my window down and most of these people don't wear masks. They're standing right there and talking to me. And I, I just can't do that. You know, my mother started yelling at me for doing that because she's 85 and I bring her groceries. So I can't get sick. I shouldn't be this close to somebody without a mask. That's holding Great. me back. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes people... Um, you know, we, we have to see, hey, is this going to be helpful for, for the other person? But also, there's a second piece of this, and we're going to come back to this idea, but it takes two to tango. And sometimes um, the person who needs help also needs to take some steps to help themselves in order for that act of chesed to work, right? Um, Judith? Well, I hate to say this, but inertia... <laughs> <laughs> very often it's just to, you know, it's easier to do if other people are doing it with you or motivating you. And I think in terms of some of these things that I'm trying to participate in, get out the vote or, um, you know, sometimes just sometimes doing things in a group or knowing that other people are doing it. I know in our temple, people are packing food that the um, rabbi's wife is taking over to homeless shelters so you're part of a community doing it. So if it's just me, it's not like I don't feel like I can make a difference. It's just, I don't know, just that energy. And particularly when you're home, that energy of doing it. Great. Um, 
I mean, not great, right? But great, <laughs> uh, you know, great in the sense of, uh, I think it's an important insight. Um, you can disagree or agree with this statement, but uh, one of my teachers, uh, uh, you know, the, I was mentoring with Rabbi Wolpe uh, when I first met uh, Rabbi Schatz and, you know, she was just Rebecca then. Um, and uh, I think you were 12, is that right? Something like that. Uh, and, um, but, but Rabbi Wolpe will uh, often talk about, you know, sort of, it's a challenging thing to say if somebody says I'm spiritual, um, he'll push them to say, how much tzedakah do you give? Right. Um, and, and what he's trying to tease out with that question is the, is the boundary between or the danger of spirituality becoming um, self-serving uh, or self-involved versus um versus involved with the world. And I think that the, it, it doesn't always happen, but the power, Judith, I think of religious communities is that they create a context for us to overcome that inertia. If you surround yourself with good people and it's what's happening around you, then it can help you to, uh, to do that more often. Um, and, and by the way, some of that also is just, uh, if you're part of a community then uh, you're meeting people, you're, you're hearing the, uh, the, the response more or the, the need more often. Um, so I want to, uh, thanks for that, you know, introduction just to get the, you know, get the thoughts going. Um, Rebecca, are we going, do we go till three o'clock? Is that right? Yeah, yes. I was like three o'clock. That's so many hours from now. But yes, three o'clock for you. <laughs> Sorry, three o'clock my time. Three o'clock yeah. my time. Um, so I want to. Uh, I, I'm going to share screen for a moment, um, and I apologize. What that will mean is that I won't be able to see as many of your faces um, as I would like. But um, I want to just look at um, a, a, a couple of texts um, to begin. Um, though I just finished telling you that. Gimilud Chasadim, that acts of Chesed and Tzedakah are different. Um, this is a text that it's usually thought of as uh, responding specifically to Tzedakah. Um, it's Maimonides' ladder. Um, this is quite famous, eight levels of Tzedakah, um, one higher than the other. Um, and the only thing that I, I want to show here is that if I did, you know, if I took this away and you didn't, uh, have a chance to look at it for, you know, uh, or be reminded. And I asked you, what's the highest level of tzedakah? Okay. Um, a lot of people sort of have in their minds that the highest level of tzedakah is, tell me if you think I'm right, right? Um, where you are anonymous and the person to whom you give is anonymous. Right? And so neither one, you know, is in this situation of, knowing who it is that they're helping. And what I just like to, maybe all of you know this, um, but I like to just uh, point out in introducing this text is that um, if you look at the top, uh, what we read is that the highest degree exceeded by none is that of the person who assists a poor Jew by providing him with a gift or a loan or by accepting him into a business partnership or by helping him to find employment, right? In a word, by putting him where he can do without other people's aid. And 
the thing that I like to point out about that is when you enter into a loan or you give someone a job, uh, that's not anonymous at all. That's actually bringing someone into your life. And uh, it, it is teaching them to fish, but, but what, I'm, what I'm getting at here is it's not anonymity. It's actually a deeper level of involvement um, because, again, you're, you are helping, you're teaching them to fish, you're helping them to remain equals, right, rather than treating them um, in a hierarchical way where you are the giver and they are the recipient, okay? And, um, and I think that uh, the story, there's a beautiful story from the Talmud um, that uh, I want to look at next um, that sort of illustrates this, uh, you know, illustrates this point quite beautifully. Um, you may have seen this before. It's from Kitubot 67b. Um, like all stories from the Talmud, it's, uh, you know, there, sometimes you need pronouns or, or there are too many pronouns. You don't know who they refer to and the whatnot. But um, can I ask someone, I, you know, it's very hard to teach over Zoom, and I like to at least try and have a little more voices than my own. Can I ask uh, someone, uh, and Rebecca, can you call on someone, because I can't see everybody's faces, yeah, sure. to, um, to read this story from the Talmud? Sure. Jay, you're unmuted. You want to read? Of course. Great. Um, Mar Ukba had a poor man in his neighborhood into whose door socket he used to throw four zoos every day. Okay, and zoos are some money, okay? And what does it mean to throw into the door socket? Eh, it's not exactly clear, you know, it functioned a little bit differently. Maybe think of it as one of those mail slots, okay, where you just, you know, you would stick it in there and it would get into the person's house. Okay, once the poor man thought, I will go and see who does me this kindness. On that day, it happened that Mar Bukba was late at the house of study, and his wife was coming out, coming home with him. As soon as the poor man saw them moving the door, he went out after them, but they fled from him and ran into a furnace from which the fire had just been swept. Mar Bukba's feet were burning, and his wife said to him, Raise your feet and put them on mine. As he was upset, she said to him, I am usually at home, and my benefactions are direct. And what was the reason for all that? Because Marzukba ben Tobia said in the name of Rab, other state Rab Hunna ben Bizna said in the name of Rab Simeon the Pious, and other <laughs> etc. Better had a man thrown himself into a fiery furnace than publicly put his neighbor to shame. Whence do we deliver this? From the action of Tamar, for it is written in scripture, when she was brought forth, she sent for her father, to her father-in-law. Okay, and then that's the, uh, and what she, what she said, uh, uh, so I, I'm going to leave the last part of it uh, to, you know, to, uh, for, for us to figure out another time. Well, what's, can somebody now translate for me, um, and I'll even, I mean, I want to leave it up there a little bit more so you can look at it, but can somebody try to tell me the story that we just read um, in what I would say plain English, 
right? Translate from English to English. What happened in this story? What was the drama um, that took place? I'll try. Okay, go ahead, Jay. There were two there were what there was a person who was giving giving Sadaka and the other person wanted to figure out who it was that was giving it to them, but the other person didn't want them to know. So he ran off and didn't care what happened to him and ended up going into a furnace where it was very hot. That's, and what happened in the furnace? That he 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 told his wife the most important thing was he didn't want he didn't want to put this person to shame to let him know who he was. All right, so I th- we're close. Let me uh, thank you. Right, let me let me see if I can tie up a few loose ends. So, first of all, Maruupa is a great sage, <clears throat> very high in the in the Babylonian Academy, and he he would deliver tzedakah, right, um, but anonymously right, to this poor person on a regular basis. And he was doing so because he didn't want to be found out. But the poor person said, I want to thank this person, okay? And Marukba, maybe he had, you know, read uh, number two on Maimonides' ladder, right? I- I'm joking about that because Maimonides wasn't, you know, until 500 years after this. But, uh, you know, Marukba had this idea that, okay, it's better to stay anonymous, Better to stay on honest. I don't uh, that that somehow if this person meets me that they'll feel ashamed because they'll know who it is, and so you know it wasn't malicious. He was trying to protect the dignity of this person, um, but he had in his own mind a sense of what would shame this person and what would preserve their dignity, um, and so he wanted to stay anonymous. And he's walking with his wife home. And the two of them go into the furnace. In terms of the realia of this, uh, I can't exactly explain how it is that he just ran into a furnace, but you know, it, a big area, I imagine, where bread was baked or something like that. Um, and let's just, you know, I don't think it was on, okay? <laughs> but the embers were, were pretty warm in there. Now, the, what happens in the furnace, though, is... When I read this story, it doesn't exactly say a miracle was done um, for Marzutra's wife, but um, if and I, it's an interesting question. You know, if we read this as literature, um, to say what is the symbolism right of the fact that her feet don't get burned? Okay. And so she says, oh, honey, your feet are burning. Mine are fine, right? Come stand on my feet so you don't get hurt. And Marzutra is going, why, why is a miracle being done for her, right? But it's not being done for me. He's taking it almost as a diminishment, right? That his, his feet are burning, but his wife's are not. And the way that she explains this miracle to her husband is... Well, when I, my benefactions, when I do, let's say for our purposes, acts of chesed, I do so directly, right? Whereas you, honey, you do it anonymously. And, and that is supposed to explain, right, to her husband why it is that she 
um, is not being affected this way. So let me ask, I think one question I want to ask you is, what do you take as the symbolism of the fact that her feet uh, are not burning, uh, you know, the way that uh, the way that his are? Or what else do you think is going on in this story? I, I think that he's embarrassed at having been spotted and, and the wife is not. So the embarrassment is a, the cause of his feet being and feeling burning. And the fact that she's totally uninvolved, the heat doesn't bother her. So the fact that she, that, that she is involved is that what you were saying? No, not involved. She hasn't been get, giving the sadaka. So she's she's not being chased by this man to be find for this man to find out who's doing the sadaka. Whereas he wants to be anonymous and he's embarrassed that he knows who this man is that's been taking some of his zuzim. Um and and he doesn't want to be found out. So I think that I agree with you uh, certainly for part of this, which is that, um, and you can go back on mute now. I, I agree with you that he is has been staying out of it, and I guess what I want to say is he doesn't have calluses on his feet. Okay, one of the ways that you learn to take the heat is by being in is by interacting with people. And he has tried to stay anonymous, um, but his wife, right, says my benefactions are direct, right? When I do something good, um, I may not have been involved in this situation with him, but I know what it means to be face to face with another with another person. Jackie, go ahead. Um, I, so I had a different thought about it. I think about like when Rabbi Dorf talks about unctuous neo from kite, that like he, to him, this is the best way to do it. And so he's literally going to run into fire so that he doesn't like drop a level in his tzedakah. And his wife is just like, you could just face the guy, like you did your best. And also it is what it is sometimes. And so his like, like, that's what happens. Like when you go too hard or whatever it is, like your feet end up on fire. Yeah, and I appreciate you um, raising that element of it. Um, I, I'm going to name it in the following way. I think that one, and then Judith, I see your hand. One of the challenges, I think, that we when we engage in acts of helping someone else, um, on the one hand, I'm a rabbi. Okay? I'm pro-mitzvahs, <laughs> Okay. I like the idea of, of, of not only doing mitzvahs, but having a sense that when we do something, we're doing it uh, out of a sense of mitzvah, right? There are some, by the way, some of the rabbis define kavanah, right? Um, having intention for a mitzvah as saying to yourself, not only am I doing this, but I'm doing this out of a sense of, of obligation to my creator, right? That, that's, that's how some rabbis define it. But on the other hand, to me, there's something wrong in treating another person as an instrument for my relationship with God. Does that make sense? In other words, 
oh, I'm going to do this act of this act of kindness because I want to, as you said, I, uh, Rabbi Dorf, what is it, unctuous frumkite or whatever. Uh, I'm going to go up on my ladder, right? And and so what you're doing is you're having this whole internal experience about religiosity, um, and in some ways it means that the person who you are the person doesn't matter anymore because they're just a tool for you. I would say if we use Martin Buber's language, you're treating the other as a, as an I, it, right? Rather than an I, thou. And what Mark Bukba's wife is saying is when I do acts of chesed, I engage with people as I, thou. And um, and and if I'm just treating it as another act on you know another rung on the ladder, then I, I'm actually missing. I may be doing it, but I'm missing it. Right, Judith? Yeah, that's sort of what I wanted to say is that she's chosen to do it directly. Care if it's not the top level, he has chosen to do it anonymously. And if the other person wasn't pursuing him then that's fine to do it anonymously. But here he was disregarding the other person's wishes in terms of, of wanting to know who he was. Uh, so it was all about him more than, it, maybe it was a lot about him rather than a lot about the act itself. Right. You know, this person was, was signaling, hey, I would like to get to know you. And here he is in the name of religion, in the name of his religiosity, here he is running away. Whereas, um, and, and there's, there's something wrong with that, right? That you just sort of, uh, you know, you're running away to try to have a higher religious experience. Um, I think somebody like, you know, Buber and somebody like Levinas, you know, who Levinas famously said that God is found in the face of the other, um, would argue the deepest religious experience you can have is not by fleeing from the world, but by being deeply engaged in the world, right? Um, Edie, and then uh, I want to get to an Amichai poem. Um, Edie knows that uh, the rabbi <laughs> emeritus of the synagogue where I am is a, a big fan of Yehuda Amichai, does wonderful translations and uh, and I am honored to be his, his student, so we'll include that as well. <laughs> Edie, go ahead. This won't take long, but I was just thinking that what you were just saying sort of reminds me of what the first person was saying when you were asking about what prevents you from doing um, good deeds sometimes, and it's that you don't know whether the other person is going to be happy about that or not happy. Like you assume what you're doing is what they want and will make them happy. And here is a perfect example in a way of where it's not necessary. I mean, the deed itself is a good thing, but the fact that he wants to remain anonymous, whereas the person he is being kind to doesn't see that as being the best thing. He has a different motive. So I just thought it was interesting that both of the, they came up in two different ways, but it's a good example. Yeah. And, and uh, Rabbi, this is Casey's, this is Casey Stern from Temple Betham. Go ahead, uh, Casey. Hi. We were, you know, we're told as when uh, Abraham and Sarah had their tent open that the mitzvah is for its own, is done for its own purpose. It's more than 
running out to someone, but just the intention of it is so powerful. And you do it for its own merit, not for reward or anything like that, just to respect. It, it, it really gives you a lot of leeway, you know. It, it doesn't make you seem like, oh, this command, you have to do this commandment. It gives you the spirit of doing it with fluidity. Well, and I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think that part of what I was saying before, and we're going to see this in the Amichai poem, um, I think that, you know, another, an earlier comment was about inertia. And, and, and I think part of what religions and religious communities can do, and that impulse of mitzvah, is to push you beyond what you yourself would do. And so I think there is a place for hearing that, that voice of command and by being part of an external community that moves you beyond your own inertia. Um, and yet at the same time, uh, the danger that you see in the story is that they also can take you out of that sense of I'm doing this for its own sake, right? I'm doing this because, uh, because there's a person here in front of me. Um, and so the question is, is balance and, you know, uh, Rabbi Schatz has, has uh, you know, designed a wonderful program. And this week, as we think about the Midah of Chesed, right, um, it's a very interesting question that we can ask ourselves. Um, on the one hand, am I doing enough Chesed in my life and, and how can I do more? Um, and on the other hand, um, making sure that in our efforts to develop our own uh, our, our own chesed, you know, meter, that we're not merely treating the people who we're trying to help uh, as an instrument for our own spirituality. So let me, um, I'm going to share the screen again, and um, maybe we can, uh, uh, Rebecca, will you choose someone else to read the Amichai poem? We'll do it in the wonderful translation by Rabbi Sager, and then I will follow up um, with a um, with, by reading it in Hebrew, and I'm going to leave it up there for a bit because uh, we should. There's just lots to think about, um, lots to think about it, and, and, and uh, I want to give us all time to do that. Barbara, so you this have, is. I'm oh, sorry. I was I was calling on someone to read. I cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm all done. <laughs> Barbara, do you want to read? Those were the days of Chesed. I heard them once say on a winter diet street during days of loneliness and pain. Even for days of chesed, we need at least two, one to give chesed and one to receive it. When they are separated, the chesed does not abide, or it is spilled into the street as if from a broken pipe. Religions do not do chesed. They only remind empty time with a bell, with a musin's call, with a siren or a shofar, with knocks on the door during days of penitence, God, they are unable to remind or his chesed. I'll read this now um, in the Hebrew um, as well. Oops, can I get it all on one page? There, uh, almost. 
אלו היו ימי חסד. שמעתי פעם אומרים בימי בדידות וצער ברחוב של חורף. גם לימי חסד צריכים לפחות שניים. נותן החסד והמקבל אותו. כשהם נפרדים, גם החסד לא נשאר, או נשפך לרחוב כמו משבר צינור. דלתות לא עושות, דתות לא עושות חסד, הן רק מזכירות זמן ריק בפעמון, בקריאת מואזין, בצופר ובשופר ובנשיקות בדלת, בימי סליחות. את האלוהים אינן יכולות להזכיר ולא את חסדו. Uh, and I'm sorry, I left off the, uh, the, the bottom. מיום שבדלו הקורבנות, נשאר כל אחד עם עצמו להקריב. That last passage in English, since the day that sacrifices ended, each person is left with himself. And to sacrifice, it can either mean to sacrifice or to bring close. to sacrifice or to bring close. Um, one thing which I, which I want to point you to, um, just in terms of this last line, uh, and my apologies for not bringing it on the page, but those of you who have a Sidor Sim Shalom at home, um, you can look this up on page 14 at the bottom uh, of your Sidor Sim Shalom. But uh, the, uh, there's a passage from Avoti Rebbe Natan that reads as follows. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was once walking with his disciple Rabbi Joshua near Jerusalem after the destruction of the temple. Rabbi Joshua looked at the temple ruins and said, Alas for us, the place which atoned for the sins of the people of Israel through the ritual of animal sacrifice lies in ruins. Then Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai spoke to him these words of comfort. Be not grieved, my son. There's another way of gaining atonement, even though the temple is destroyed. We must now gain atonement through chesed, through gimilud chesedim, through acts of loving kindness. As it is written, loving kindness I desire, not sacrifice. From Hosea, he chesed chafatz dibro zavach. And when he ends this poem by saying, now that the korbanot, right, are since the day that the korbanot ended, each person is left with himself to sacrifice. I think very much he's playing off in this idea that now what we have to, to, to sacrifice um, are acts of, of loving kindness. Uh, he, he surely, surely knew, um, you know, knew, knew that, that, that Mishnah. Uh, did Amichai. So I would love to uh, just hear from you. I realize you can't um, quite get all of it on the, on the page, but I'd love to hear what lines in this rise up to you, um, get you thinking about, about chesed, get you thinking about uh, the holidays um, and the work that we are in the midst of doing. 
Yeah, I think what really spoke to me was this religions do not do chesed. Because I think so many times, no matter what religion you are, it's easy to think that, oh, my synagogue will take care of that. Or, you know, my church feeds the poor, which means you are really remote from the people who you're doing that chesed for. And I, I don't know, I just really like that. Right. There, I, I will... I will tell you uh, that I, 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 Jennifer and I loved Los Angeles and we miss Los Angeles. And one of the riches, uh, one of the rich parts of living in Durham, North Carolina, is that there's no big Jewish community. Uh, if you want something to happen in the Jewish community, Guess what? You got to do it. Um, and it's and and there's a tremendous ethic of we are responsible because uh, be, because there's nobody else. And I think that um, a challenge. I think we we feel more of a sense of that than we did in Los Angeles. And I think that a challenge of of living in uh, you know it's obviously part of the beauty of living in a, in a tremendous you know, uh, Jewish community is that there are so many resources, but the challenge is that uh, you, you might conclude that religions do chesed um, and they don't. Uh, other thoughts, reactions, Annette? I always uh, dislike so much the organized uh, religious, I go well, fund me and things of that sort of. I don't know. But I also don't always know people in need. Like, for example, at the holidays. And I, I, my belief is I very often I'll go to, let's say, the rabbis, and I'll say, I'm willing to give you this much for somebody who doesn't have for a holiday dinner. See that they have a couple of holiday dinners you know, from the caterer. Or, let's say, during Passover. I always, sometimes went to the smaller, when I say smaller rabbis, rabbis was a smaller congregation among the Orthodox community that we knew. And I said, look, do you know people? I don't want to know them, but you know people who are coming who can't do, who can't do Passover. It's very expensive. Here's our in my contribution. I, I like to I like to give it I know that there are people who know individuals who need a little help. They're not ready to be thrown on the street. We, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. But maybe a nice dinner at the holiday is tough for them. You know, I'm overweight, that's why I'm obsessed yeah. with food. And but it could be somebody else. It could be something else. Right now I'm helping a friend pay for caregivers. Well, and I think, Annette, that those, so it's good, right? I appreciate what you said, It's it, and I appreciate what you, what you do. I don't want to uh, know who it is. Right. And, and, and so it's good to have those mechanisms, right, um, that, that, uh, allow us if we don't know someone. Um, I do think that uh, you know that Amichai is you know would would be pushing us to say um, 
if we don't know people in need, um, that maybe that tells us something about, uh, you know, we want to be part of a community that does that, but also, hey, how do I get to know more people in need? What does it mean to surround myself? I want to give other people a chance, but what does it mean to surround myself, right? Um, and to build such a world where maybe, you know, maybe I'm walled off in that way. Um, and so the chesed, right, is to say I need to, to um, you know, to, to, um, to you know, to, uh, to move, to be aware, right, of that challenge. Rachel, go ahead. All right. I'll lower my hand electronically here. Thank you. Um, the statement about um, reminding the, the end of the second stanza, God, they are unable to remind or God's has said. And I was trying to think, where would I put the commas in that sentence? God, comma, they are unable to remind, um, or they are unable, comma, to remind. And, and I'm feeling like the, the task is for us to be agents of God's asset, that God, um, yet God can't do it without us in that way. Um, I also really liked the multiple religion imagery there. The mezuin call, the siren, the shofar, the knock on the door. All of all faiths need to engage with chesed. And my last comment to kind of build on what Annette said, is for me, I try to look at Hesed as something almost more tangible than donating money. Um, or more engaging of my time. Um, that's not to say that donating money isn't also an act of Hesed but that there's so many other ways also. Um, I, I really appreciate your focus on et ha-Elohim uh, enan yecholot lahaskir velo et chasto, right? Uh, you know, remember his subject here, uh, the subject of that stanza is religions, right? Uh, religions can't remind, uh, you know, can't remind God of God's chesed. That's, you know, that's a, uh, a pretty big indictment, right? Um, you know, and, what is, and by the way, what does it mean to remind God of God's chesed? Rennie or Renee? That he has to have rachmanut for people. Yeah, and, and classically on Rosh Hashanah, right, there is a, or uh, during the whole High Holidays, there's a classical bit, bit, uh, rabbinic image of moving God that we blow the shofar to move God from 
um, from Kisei Hadin to Kisei HaRachamim, from the throne of judgment to the, to the throne of compassion. And, and Amichai is saying, religions can't do that. Uh, you know, it, to me, this is almost an indictment of, uh, you know, of prayer. Um, you know, he's saying these external things, whether it's a muazin, right? He's not only down on the Jews here, right? But uh, the muazin or the, the shofar or people going around and knocking on doors, um, those are not the things that move God to uh, a to a place of compassion. If you if you want to move God to a place of compassion in the heavens, this is how I hear Amichai. Um, the the Kabbalists have this idea of itaruta dilatata itaruta dilatata which means an awakening below creates an awakening above, and the awakening below it can't be. Uh, shofars, and it can't be, uh, you know, muazins, and it can't be slichot and knocking on the door. If you want to awaken, if you want to uh, awaken God's compassion or remind God of God's chesed, you have to, you have to do that, right? You have to have the act of chesed rather than its, uh, rather than its reminders, uh, somebody put something in the chat. Did I do it? Should, does somebody else want to add something to our conversation? Rachel was just commenting. Um, Rachel Grint, who, who just spoke, she said, oh, the God should do this or that for us because of the merit of our ancestors. I right. said that's an indictment of that kind of prayer. Right. That the poem, as I understand it, is saying that shouldn't be our approach, which is, feels to me, I mean, it's a theme in all of our prayer language, but it seems to be kind of made bigger or exaggerated in our high holiday prayer language. Barbara? This prayer um, goes along with what I put in the chat about needing one to give and one to receive. Because as an ophthalmologist for 49 plus years in private practice in Beverly Hills, um, I have consistently given my time to people in need, to organizations, Vista Del Mar um, and uh, Medi-Cal um, and other organizations, the, the family clinics, and it, it makes me feel good that Amichai says I'm doing a good thing, but I, which I've always felt that I was doing a good thing. So I fully approve of this poem. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, you don't need my approval, but I approve too. Um, and uh, I, so I, let me just finish. It's 2.57. So, you know, this last stanza, um, since the day that sacrifices uh, ended, each person is left with himself to sacrifice. Um, I think that's a wonderful meditation for us to take into the high holidays. 
into the high holiday season that, uh, you know, as a, there, there may be a blessing. I don't, I'm, I don't know about you guys and, you know, we are going all zoom this year. Um, and I love our prayer services and, uh, to the folks from Bethel who are here, um, we're going to do our best, and and I still think that what happens over Zoom, God willing, will be meaningful and will be good. Um, and it's not going to be what was, okay. Uh, and and there may be a blessing in leaning this high holidays for all of us less into the sound of the shofar and less into the sound of the cantor's voice and less into the ritual of the synagogue. Um, because it's taken away from us. Uh, I think that the opportunity is that it forces us to focus on what is truly needed during the high holiday season. Um, which is for us to give of ourselves to, to bring ourselves close and, um, and acts of chesed. It's not to say that the rest of the stuff doesn't matter and isn't important. Um, but I think Amichai's poem is a good corrective. So Rebecca, if I can steal one more minute, um, I just want to read this poem one more time to let it uh, sink in. And I'm happy to share this uh, with Rebecca to send out uh, for folks who would like to maybe put it in your talus bag uh, or put it by next to your screen, um, you know, during, during the tefillot or keep it for a conversation uh, over Arab Rosh Hashanah dinner or Rosh Hashanah lunch. Those were days of chesed, I heard them once say on a winter street during days of loneliness and pain. Even for days of chesed, we need at least two, one to give chesed and one to receive it. When they are separated, the chesed does not abide, or it is spilled into the street as if from a broken pipe. Religions do not do chesed. They only remind empty time with a bell, with a muazin's call, with a siren or a shofar, with knocks on the door during days of penitence. God, they are unable to remind or his chesed. Since the day that sacrifices ended, each person is left with himself to sacrifice. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.